I'm Tobin Heath, two-time World Cup winner. And I'm Kristen Press, two-time World Cup winner. And this is The Recap Show. This is the first time we'll be watching the World Cup in over a decade. We know we're not alone with how we feel about the way people talk about women's sports. We want to be part of the solution. Having been there many times before ourselves, Tobin and I are going to bring to you what it's like to play in a World Cup, what's really happening behind the scenes, all the good juicy bits. The Recap Show will bring you gal culture at its finest. We all know what bro culture is, but what is gal culture? We're here to define it. This is our narrative, our culture, and we get to tell it our way. Welcome to the recap. Welcome to the show. LFG. Welcome to episode four of the recap show. Thank you all for all of the support that you've shown throughout the first three episodes. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss a minute of our show. Now let's start with the sports. We're in the middle of the final group stage matches. Some teams have advanced, some are still fighting, and others have been eliminated, but all have made an impact. But this is when the tournament really starts. The round of 16 is about to happen, and so is the recap show. Today, Kristen and I are joined by our US Women's National Team teammate, Abby Dahlkamper, Welsh international and NWSL star, Jess Fishlock, and a game changer off the field, ally CMO, Andrea Brimmer. But first, Tobin's top things. The post thing. At the end of the U.S. versus Portugal match, a ball ricocheted off the post and held the hopes of two nations in the balance. This is the World Cup. The white shorts thing. There was news going into this tournament about Nike's acknowledgement that women have periods. And because of that, there was a move towards getting rid of white shorts. Really great. But then I was a little confused because Brazil took the field in white shorts. So then I thought, well, research does show that women's cycles sink. So maybe they synced and it wasn't a problem. The Canada thing. The FIFA president thing. Rumor has it that Gianni Infantino, he left the World Cup a week into it. Can you imagine if he left the men's World Cup a week into it? He would never. The Ramirez-Ramirez thing. Everybody watched that Columbia game and thought, wow, Linda Casado. And I did too. That goal was spectacular. But really, the star was Myra Tatiana Ramirez-Ramirez. She was fantastic. Bravo. The Lynn Williams thing. So Lynn Williams started yesterday. It's great to know that Flacco's a fan of the show. Here we are today for the daily discussion. The U.S. game ended last night at 2 a.m. and we were up at 8 a.m. starting to film this show. So here are our fresh takes on the game. Um, Tobin, you want to start off and share some of your tactical thoughts on the U.S.-Portugal performance? That's a loaded question. First off, can you give a little... Okay. I will say just from a feelings perspective, because maybe we should start with feelings. Maybe those are a okay. little bit easier, although probably not for me. But <clears throat> I watched that game and I, you know, my heart was pounding a lot of the time. Um, I, I feel like I started the game and I was like, you know, I'm just going to like be pretty chill about it and just like watch and observe and I'm not going to become emotional about it. And the first half happened and... I started getting frustrated, but I felt like my emotions were relatively in check. And I said, you know, halftime, cool, like make some adjustments, come out in the second half. And then the second half um, added 
not only more frustration, but a heck of a lot of more emotion. And Insult then to injury. And then I I lost it. I think I lost <laughs> it. And it's it were we should all be really happy that we're filming now and not filming directly after the game because um, I can understand the reactions that we saw because I think there was an emotional reaction to a performance like that and to or being so close to having the U.S. be eliminated from the tournament. So what specifically made you frustrated? Like, was it the, the structure? Tactics, yeah. The tactics. The it structure. Was, it wasn't the body language. You know what? It wasn't the effort. It's it was like in the first, you know, 20 minutes, you know, just seeing like Sophia Smith like on the ground, like tackled, like frustrated, not being able to like find her flow. Like in that moment, I become frustrated as a player. And you think that we were going to see something different, a change. Um, and and that then becomes internalized. So you take a player like that who's, you know, should be a star in this tournament. Then you start to internalize that as a player on the field. And now you're, you're in yourself mm -hmm. instead of being playing this game with your team. So after the second U.S. match, everybody was talking about, oh, we made no subs. <laughs> but I think what we came to talk about was we made no changes. Yeah. It wasn't just the subs. We didn't yeah. make any tactical adjustments. And when I Wait, look can at... we just like talk that through? Because yeah. I, I think this is a great point. And you specifically made this point to me, and I thought it was brilliant. It wasn't that we didn't put players into the match, right? That's what everybody was emotional about. They're like, oh my gosh, how, how do you coach and not use your bench, especially a bench of the U.S. Women's Nash team? But the point was the team didn't structurally change to win that game. And so and so this is why it's so interesting because it's like a micro moment that's reflective of the macro moment. In the game, we need to make, in every soccer match, you yeah. need to make tactical adjustments to exploit spaces, get numerical advantage, yada, yada. And we haven't seen in a game any of those tactical adjustments, but it points to the larger point that have we seen any tactical adjustments in the last year? <laughs> have we seen any different formations tried? Have we seen any um, adjustments to the way that we're pressing? Yeah, We've seen the team come out for the last year in the same general um, shape, yeah. in the same general pressing structure. And the question I have is now we're in this tournament and we're saying, okay, we're not super happy with the first three performances, but we're going to grow and we're growing into this tournament. Yeah. But if we haven't seen growth in the last year, then yeah. how can we expect growth now to happen over the next seven days? I mean, you make a great point. I think where you start is like you want to generalize your player pool, right? We knew, we knew there was going to be a shift in, you know, what the 2019 team was into what the 2023 team was. Of oh, course. I think your point, I want I to think, contextualize it a second yeah. before you go into it. What you're saying is that, like, the problems aren't starting today. No, no. It starts a while back. So now you're talking about the player pool. Yeah. So, like, you have to generalize your player pool. You have to see where your strengths, your weaknesses are, where players are in their cycles. Like, that you're going to get older players, you're going to get newer players. Like, how much you have to invest in certain players to, like, be prepared for a World Cup. And, like, generalize what the national team is, what you want it to be, what your strengths and weaknesses are, how you're going to win a World Cup. That's, that's where you start. And then you get it, you specify it, you, you get into the details, and then you, you pattern play, you figure out subgroups that work really well together. You go into this. I think we never generalized. We went straight specifics. We went straight 
This player is playing really, really well. This player is the best in their position. This player, this player, this player. And for me, there was never this idea of a team. And if you want to look at the feeling that the players have, the errant passes on the field, the the and I feel it, and I think part of the frustration is I felt this exact same way in the Olympics. Alexi Laws made a comment that I think is is really harsh about Crystal Dunn never looking like she's never played soccer before. This is one of the best players in the world. Mm -hmm. To even think that there could be a comment about a player like that, for me is what is happening? Mm -hmm. And and that's the feeling that I had in the Olympics. You were one of the best players going into the Olympics. Sam Mewis was one of the best players in the world going into the Olympics. How do you take a player that is going into a world championship with a tag of a Blondora winner going to use that that platform to win, to do something amazing, and how do they become nothing? And that's, and that's what I'm seeing. the most important thing here. It's that, like, sometimes, especially as Americans, we look at an individual performance and, like, that player won us the game. That player won us the tournament. Our individual performances, like, we, we care so much, we're going to win. But it's like, no, the system and the structure is set up to make players succeed. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, Tovin, I want you to give me an example of a player that needs to be set up to succeed. Yeah. And it's almost difficult because every single player in every single line is not being set up to succeed. Yeah. And no offense, like you can't have everything, right? You have this plethora of talent. You have literally the deepest talent in the world. You can't put everything you want on the field and think that there's going to be harmony because they're all amazing. There is no harmony between the front line. There's no looking at what the strengths and weaknesses are. There's actually no even hierarchy in the front line. There needs to be an understanding of like what the team's A, B, and C plans are and how to do a couple quick adjustments to be able to make sure that our most effective players are effective. Mm -hmm. And right now, our most effective players not only aren't effective for themselves, they're not being effective for others. Mm-hmm. The last thing I want to touch on is everybody is talking about mentality, the U.S. mentality. Um, Carly's obviously come out with some really strong comments that the U.S. doesn't have it. Um, And I think what that made me think of is two different things. First of all, is she right? Has our mentality changed? My thought in my heart not being there is absolutely freaking not. Mm. There is no way. It is so ingrained in us um, through through the ages, like, but why does it look like that, right? There is something off, why does it look like that? And the second thing is, is if we were doing all of the nonverbal signals of like a great mentality, Mm. if we had put in the tackles that Carly wants to see, if we were picking each other up, Mm. if we were laying into each other for a bad moment after the game, is that enough? Is the US mentality enough to win us a World Cup with where the modern game is. Yeah, no, you bring up like a couple really interesting points. Um, I think I'll start with the beginning. You know, Carly Lloyd, like everything that she said, everything that she did was, you know, a reaction. It was a very Carly Lloyd reaction. That's exactly how Carly is. That's what she brought to the U.S. Women's Team. That's what made her great. That's what made the teams that she played on great. And then there was a reaction where Heather O'Reilly was saying, like, Come on, get America, let's get behind this team. Yeah. And then that that was the beautiful picture quintessential of hey-o. quintessential yeah. hey-o of like <laughs> why Heyo is so special. That she can flip that, that she can flip what Carly thinks and flip it into something that's positive and like proactive and and changes the energy, right? And both are and super both strong. Both are so strong. Yeah. 
And both are so right. And that's the beauty of the US Massage team is that those two players shared a locker room and those ideas got smashed into each other. And that's what makes the mentality of the US Massage team. Look, there's a lot of ways that you can go about this in terms of like the do's and don'ts. I think with mentality, at the end of the day, we always say this, like winning speaks. The US Women's National Team is still in this tournament. They are. They can still win this World Cup. The only thing that matters is that they win. So if they're going to be criticized for their mentality, for their off fields, like whatever, if they're what unfocused, they're wearing what they're wearing, whatever. The yeah. Like honestly, like the only time that that will become an issue is if you don't win. The world is watching and is feeling like this team has shown up like they've already won mm. because we have won a lot. We won the last two World Cups. We've won pay equity. The, the players are getting paid, but we can't show up like we've already won this World Cup. Mm. We need to go out and win this World Cup. Okay. Um, well, it's morning time, thank God, because I think if we caught each other after the game, we probably would have... Um, this uh, energy would have been a lot different. Um, but thank you, Jess Fishlock, um, mm -hmm. just for a little bit of praise, not like <laughs> <laughs> you need it. Um, but Welsh International, mm -hmm. 134 caps. Did you know that you are the first player to ever get 100 caps for your country? I, you know, I was aware of that. Yeah. You would be aware of that. <laughs> um, a uh, midfielder for OL Rain, um, just an absolute boss. Um, had the mm -hmm. privilege of playing with you. Honestly, it's it's great to have you. I think this is a really important piece of how we talk about the World Cup is getting different perspectives um, mm -hmm. for us U.S. Women's National Team. You know, like supporters, um, we are like the toughest critics, right? Um, mm -hmm. And we should be because that's the expectation. That's what it means to play on the US Women's Ash team. That's kind of what, what you sign up for. <laughs> in women's football, um, it's actually quite rare that people really study the game and mm -hmm. understand it and watch it and analyze it um, to the football part where you were like, oh, I got home and I have to like turn off the football. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just replaying the game back in your head and you're thinking about it. So talk me through what you saw specifically and where you think we are having issues because there are uh, a lot of issues but let's mm -hmm. let's t talk about your your main issues my biggest concern is that their balance in every single unit is off yeah and i think everybody will always talk about you know the individual kind of situations and relationships with fullback and winger or mm -hmm. center backs and six or you know tens and and front line and and blah 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 and you can always talk about individuals within those units obviously and and what their kind of um attributes are and what makes them so great and can we get them doing this and can we get them doing this but for for me when you when you pick a team your team has to has to help each other and the balance of your team comes before anything else yeah and it's 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 really overlooked because you find that you always just want to play players because they're good right and it comes with yeah. even when you select a team 
for the World Cup. You know, but, you know, you go on Twitter and everyone is like, you mm-hmm. know, berating choices because they believe that so-and-so is better than so-and-so and it yeah. all becomes super individual. Um, but actually, that's not what this, it's not about who is the best individual. It's about mm-hmm. how good is your team and is the balance of your team so good that it's just flawless it's like a machine right Mm -hmm. and I don't see balance in any of the units and that is what concerns me the most because balance is what allows creativity it allows you being fluid it allows you know a a fluidity of formation too right like formation mm-hmm. is such it's it you know for me formation doesn't it doesn't matter about formations it's more about your roles and responsibilities yeah. in areas of the field right you, you I know that you think the same about that and so it's like I don't know how you win games without balance honestly I don't and I think that that's what I've seen more than more than anything if you don't have balance in the back line you're not going to be able to get to the midfield if you don't have balance in the back line and the midfield you ain't going to get the ball to your front line and if you yeah. by somehow by miracle get it to your front line then if you don't have balance there yeah. how are you going to score goals right yeah. and I think for me that's what I'm seeing from a collective approach here is that the balance is off yep yep and let's get into the attack like it's obvious like when you talk about balance that like the players aren't complementing each other and what they're doing and where they are in the field um which then makes it feel out of balance disconnected on different pages and honestly every single time somebody gets a ball it's like they're not supportive of one another not not in terms of like emotionally Mm -hmm. they're not supportive of one another in terms of the positions on the field um, and you have everyone trying to do what they think is the right thing to do, as opposed yeah. to having fundamental, this is the way that we do it. And maybe it's not, to your point, the strength of the 11 players. Like, maybe you're going to be like, I don't like my role, you yeah. know? But, yeah. but but that's not about, it's not about having just like her role out on the field. It's yeah. about the team being successful. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's me, about- there's a bunch of like, roles like I think and I I go back to this I think all the players like you don't point out a player and say like they're doing that no you can't no you can't Uh there's no kind of connection and at one point I'm just going to say this because this is a tactical thing and it's about the game and I need to get this off my chest but at one point our our our, see I did it again the USA's fullbacks were inverting whilst Portugal were a low block diamond yeah. Yeah. and I I remember just looking at it and thinking well that is that has been a tactic for the USA for a long time now the inversion of the fullbacks right but when does it come surely you know that they play a diamond they're probably going to be low block yeah. in which case you have to stretch the diamond as much as you possibly can to then open up the seams in the pockets, yeah. right? And that, throughout the game, I was thinking, well, at some point, we're going to get the fullbacks high and wide to stretch their diamond to allow 
rows then to get in between yeah, or even so inverted into the yeah. pocket and then we can get players you know off different lines in different spaces um creating and connecting it's just fundamental it's, it's fundamental football yeah I mean I found it really interesting because there was a around the 20th minute um USA built out down the right-hand side. They did a switch of play. Haran switched the play to Foxy. Foxy played Lynn right away, who was high and wide. Thank goodness. Um, and the switch of play from Haran kind of took out the diamond because mm-hmm. obviously everybody knows that's how you break down a diamond. Yeah. Um, and Lynn was high and wide, which was perfect. And the USA were able to get Lynn 1v1 out wide there's only ever going to be one winner in that situation yes goes down the line puts a cross in alex does what alex does in the box phenomenal nine in the box um and i was like oh okay like yeah like we've got it like you know Uh and 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 and, you know it takes time to figure that stuff out you know you can feel it in the game so when when that happened you know must have been i think around 20 minutes i was like this is it yeah They've got we it. We figured it out. Unlocked. They figured, yeah. figured it out. We know what to do. We know where the success is. Yeah. Into one of the sixes. Switch and play. Out wide. One v one. You know, and eventually then once that, once they kind of try and stop that, well, then they'll give you something else. And yeah. then you're, and I was exactly. like, yeah, we got it girls. Yeah. And then I think it, it just happened that once. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. And so, you know, but I like, feel like, yeah, there's so many, so there's so many issues, right? And it's like, you want to like fix them all, but like, it's like when things are like, when everything's flying around, you just need to grab something, right? Yeah. Like, because you're not going to fix everything. And yeah. honestly, the, uh, the psychology of the team right now, I can't even imagine, like, there's so many things emotionally that are off so many decisions that are off that like I know how every single one of those players are feeling and honestly they're like what the fuck like all of them and all of them are going into their head trying to figure it out of course because not one of them is feeling good about themselves not one person so like you're if you're the coach which you know like I I know you're sitting there thinking what what would I do because that's what you did all night in your head like where do you start where do you start in this next game you're gonna play probably against a Sweden like where where are you even starting the very first thing that I would be doing is going into a four two three one and that's it (laughs) that would be the very first change that I would make without a single second hesitation Four, two, three, one. I do not believe that. Um, and that's just to create stability. That's just to like basically be like. Create stability, but also create space and help with the balance issues that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Do it again. That the USA have. Because <laughs> I think people really underestimate how good of a structure a four two three one is yeah and what is what it enables you to do and people often think that when you go four two three one you have two sixes and they don't move and that's not necessarily that's Uh not true at all Uh 
for me, what it allows or what it would allow the USA to do is rather than have like um, Haran and Rose high early, yep. which I don't think helps with their build out. Um, it also cramps up the space yeah, for uh-huh. your wingers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, and what it also does is it's not really allowing the fullbacks to get high because I think they're a little hesitant to do that because the space in the middle is so open with Andy on her own. Yes, yes. And so that little tiny tweak, and it really isn't that big, it's just, Lindsay, let's not start high. Let's start low Mm -hmm. and go high Mm -hmm. later, Mm -hmm. you know? You can be more of a support system mm-hmm. for the winger if they need it. Your fullbacks can get a little bit more uh, attacking and higher because you know you have, the, you have the space to go in. And your wingers can go, right, I'm going to go wide, but also you have that space in the middle to come into and mm-hmm. drive into if mm-hmm. you want, which, which, which suits a lot of the national team wingers that they have at this point right you know, now Smith, yeah. right now exactly it's really tough in a five to play like that as a winger you know it, especially if you don't have high and wide fullbacks exactly exactly wow. so right now because fullbacks not getting high there's only one six so yeah. they're like flat I like it. one flat and then every time the wingers get the ball they're crowded out because the opposition can send one and then two like how many mm-hmm. times was Sophie the other day one against two back against the wall back against the sideline I mean, that's when where I'm is like, she gonna go exactly that's when I'm like that's when you stand up you make a couple changes to that specific subgroup because you're talking about a player that like should be up for like best player in the world like in terms of caliber yeah. of individual I'm like how do you get these caliber of individuals that are literally so good and make them look so bad you put them in yeah. a situation where it's impossible for them to play. It's impossible for them to do the things that they're special at. And like, yeah. I watched it over and over again, her be unsuccessful. And I just said, it's it's a couple changes to a couple people around her. That's all it is. And all of a sudden she's like, oh, wow. Now, now I can do what I, I need to do. That makes me good. That makes the team good. Yeah. I think it's also interesting because obviously... If you look at, if you just look at the, let's say, how these play for their clubs, right, which I think is super important. So plays at the nine for Poland um, and has so much more room to operate. Working in a nine and being able to check feet, running behind, spin someone, but have a be- little bit more space. Yeah, I think you're, I, I mean, I'm, I completely agree with you. Like, Soph's an out-and-out nine, period. Like, there's there's no question to it. When, like, you're losing her biggest strengths, like, when you put mm-hmm. her wide. I get it. Like, you want to you wanna have the best of all worlds out on the field. Mm-hmm. You want to do X, Y, Z. And believe me, I'm not saying the answer to this team is taking Alex off. Like, I actually don't think no. that's, that's it. No, I all. don't think. I don't think, I don't that think that's it at all. I don't. No, um, I don't either. But, like, you're absolutely right. Like everybody watches this player day in and day out and knows what makes this player special. And it's not, you know, you know, what could help that though is if your fullback was 
high and wide and then she's and rotating so more like a double could nine. rotate inside yeah. like a double nine yeah well then you do have the best of both worlds and okay. if you had then and then you have so because you have two sixes yeah you have a ran who starts probably as a little six but then can join in like yeah. an eight because yeah. obviously that's you know she's very good at that yeah get into the box late but also being an extra support behind the ball for circulation yeah. and breaking lines and passing through the seams yeah um yeah i i mean i i like it i think it's really smart <laughs> and it just shows them up defensively yeah. honestly and they're going to be playing against a swedish yeah. team that will smell blood plus the history of they're going to want kind it. of they're going to want it big time they're going to really want it big um, time and I think, like, I still, this is crazy. I still believe, believe. I do, because these, these, these players, you know, they, no one in this World Cup is going to get as much um, flack as the American girls. Yeah, no one, no one, and they're gonna, they're gonna know that. They're gonna know that them having a bad game. Um, oh, yeah. will will like be an earthquake throughout global soccer, yep. um, and they're gonna have to find a way m- more so than ever before, probably yeah. because this World Cup is just you know so different to any of the other World Cups. They're gonna have to find a way to in the next five or six days. I don't know when they play their next game yeah. to just really kind of sit down be honest with what they need from each other yeah i mean i i i think we could continue talking forever i know i i love your insight honestly it's so great it's so important to have because like at the end of the day um like you said we we all are are hypercritical but we're all like still firm believers Oh, yeah. so firm of believers yeah. that, that this team will figure it out um and I really hope that for them um and I know for you as much as for me it's like almost a frustration that we're not figuring out with all the pieces that we have um yeah. so um I think I, really appreciate I think that. this game will change that for them I really do I think sometimes you need that one game where you get what you want nothing's been hurt mm-hmm. you haven't lost anything but you know you were close. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those games really just go, yep. okay. Yeah. Let's blank canvas. Let's go. Yeah. Now. And I yeah. think this might be that game. But I would like to leave you with this. I was um thinking of the of you and a superlative that I would want to give you. And I was thinking most likely to win a World Cup as a coach, Chess Bishop. Oh wow. Wow. That's there you uh, go. There you go, my damn. friend. Damn, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. We are joined today by a special guest and friend, Abby Dahlkamper. Welcome, welcome to, to the, the show. <laughs> Abigail Lynn Dahlkamper is a defender for the US women's national team and the San Diego Wave and a 2019 World Cup champion. In that 2019 World Cup, she was one of only two players to start every single game. 
In 2013, Abby helped lead UCLA to their first ever national championship. She was named to the NWSL Best 11 in 2017, 2018, and 2019, and she's won NWSL Defender of the Year. In addition to those honors, Abby won the NWSL Championship in 2016, 2018, and 2019. She's played for the Western New York Flash, the North Carolina Courage, and Manchester City. A year ago, Abby had back surgery that ruled her out for the 2023 World Cup, and she is about to make her triumphant return to the field this weekend in the NWSL. We're very proud of that. Notably, and this one I added myself, uh, she has the best long ball in the game. And importantly, she endured two and a half hours on the five freeway <laughs> to make it here today, straight from training, and we are super grateful. Welcome to the show, Abby. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Welcome, so Abby. Bo 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 boot it, tall camper. <laughs> Boom. D. <laughs> um, we're so happy to have you here. Um, I know for all of us, it's a unique experience to be, you know, watching the World Cup for the first time. Um, I think many of us thought we maybe would have been playing in it, um, yourself included. Uh, I mean, incredible bio, crushing it. We're so happy that you're gonna be back on the field um, because the game has missed you. So you've really won so that. many things. Holy crap. Right. Yeah. Okay, 2019 was like the year of- Of Abby D? Of Abby D <laughs> winning stuff. <laughs> Like, that was just, like, such a cool year. I won that NBSL, and we won a freaking World Cup. Yeah. And it was just, like, so fun. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I feel like this is so cliche, but I feel so fortunate to have, like, been able to be, like, I have won, like, a lot of things, and that's, like, I'm just so grateful for that. Yeah. Um, And it's just really cool because I think not a, a lot of people can say that. And, you know, I just feel like I'm just really grateful for my journey. And, like, obviously, like you said, you know, like, missing the World Cup, I think we all feel, like, pretty bummed and sad. I, I know we probably, like, wanted to be there really badly, but I think just to be able to, like, look back at, like, my journey in specific yeah. and, and be just, like, grateful and thankful for that and, like, kind of think of that as, like, any anything else that happens, like, in the future is just, like, a bonus. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we've, we've won <laughs> so much, so, like... Thinking ahead, I just feel like that kind of helps just to, uh, you know, have a good mindset in yeah. that Yeah, And, like, if you think about it, you're saying, like, 2019, the year of Abby D. Love that. <laughs> you're sitting on top of the world. We're just declaring 2019 the year of Abby D. <laughs> the year of me. And now, you know, we're four years later. Like, I feel like our lives are ruled by cycles. Like, yeah. like no one knows what a cycle is. But it's like we live in the world what of cycles. What is a cycle? It's the four years that you train and prepare for a World Cup, essentially. Yep. And in there, there's an Olympics and there's qualifying. But the whole team is shaped by cycles. Like you're generally a part of a cycle mm -hmm. um, and like you can roll off in a cycle. And so like we have like these four year stints that like kind of mark pieces of our career. And so this year I've had like a ton of feelings because it's four years from when we won that World Cup. Yeah. Um, and I would love to hear like, how are you feeling in the year of 2023? Where are you? I know you're coming off a long recovery. We're saying, you know, we're all sitting here instead of sitting in Australia and New Zealand. Um, and, and you know, what what is this year to you? Yeah, I think 2023 has been like, you talk about a cycle. I feel like it's kind of like, the year of Abby again, like Ooh. in a new sense though. Like I just feel like I've learned so much. Like 2022 for me was so hard mm. on the field. Like 
well, I wasn't on the field. So I feel like soccer wise, I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, like uh, I'm a professional athlete. This is what I do. Yeah. Like, this is who I am. This is my identity. Like, I feel like soccer and my identity was like so tied together. Um, and, and I tied, you know, my identity into self-worth and, and all of that. So I think, you know, 2022 was like just really hard. I feel like nothing was going, you know, my way through injury and, and all of that. And I feel like I was able to, you know, physically get healthy and like mentally get healthy too. And like be on a regular schedule with my therapist and, you know, spend time with my loved ones and kind mm -hmm. of fill my cup up like outside of, of the field. I and. Love that and find things that like make me happy and, and kind of ground me in a sense. And I feel like now, like here comes another cycle of 2023, mm -hmm. like four years from 2019, um, Abby D year. And <laughs> another, the return of the Abby it's D. it's like Abby D year, no. <laughs> so now here we are and I just feel like I know myself better. Mm -hmm. I feel way happier. I feel like I can, you know, be okay not having soccer, but mm -hmm. soccer makes me really happy. And I think that that's like amazing that I've kind of like made this, I don't know, like happen where, where I can be like, okay, like I am not Abby Dahlkemper, the soccer player. I'm Abby Dahlkemper, the wife, the friend, the daughter, the sister, mm. like the aunt, you know what I mean? Like just things that like, mean the most to me and soccer is a, is an addition it's mm -hmm. not who I am mm -hmm. and I feel like with that being said it's not like I you know want to stop playing or any of that I just feel like it's like a new kind of like found aspect and thought um you know of like who I am as a player and a person and I think that that's cool because I'm able to kind of like just have fun and be me. And I feel like I know that sounds so cliche, but when I'm just myself and having fun and not thinking about, you know, yeah. all of the stuff that comes with soccer, then I'm like playing my at my best. I, I really like when I think about stories like that involve you, it is that version of yourself. Like you laugh in training. Yeah. Like you love like when you like ping a bad ball and you're like, sorry, Pessy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm literally like, time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like that like joyfulness that I feel like you bring to the pitch along with just being amazing at what you do. Um, we talk about like the players that are kind of missing that were like kind of part of the more like immediate plans of the 2023 team. Um, but when we talk about like massive pieces that were a huge part of 2019 that are missing that aren't here, like you are, were instrumental to our success in 2019. Our whole identity and the way that we built our attack revolved around you and your strengths. And when we talk about this specific, really what Kristen called you best in the world at, which is like your, your long ball, um, and just like your long passing in general, it allowed us as a team to stretch the field. Yeah. And that creates so much space. And I lied, baby. Max, we, I Max, we were all fighting to play on the left yeah. side <laughs> so that we could be the one to receive your long. You ball. know, I will say, but you're I around got you the corner. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. You're around the the corner ball. Like honestly, it was like you know, I, perfect. And yeah. and we look at you know some things that are you know, missing or a little bit more of a struggle with this team is they don't have that verticality and they don't have that clear identity with how they built out of the back. 
Um, so for me, like, I just, I, I want to, like, for the world to understand how pivotal you were to the success of that team um, and to just kind of applaud you for that. You know, it was the year of Abby D. Like, <laughs> no, like, it was. No, it no. was. I believe it. Um, and it was like an absolute joy. I actually remember <laughs> when you first came on the team and there's always like a sussing out period. We yeah. can't help it. No. Like we want to be loving and we want to be kind all the time, but we're like, are we really going to invest if this player's not going to be around, right? That's so true. So we're sort of yeah. just like, yeah. let's just let them sink or swim yeah. a couple of camps. <laughs> <laughs> and then if they're going to swing, yeah, I'm like, this is yeah. not football. Doggy let's dog see. world. Yeah, let's it see. Really is. And then, you know, it became very obvious, like Tobin said, like once you were in, it was like not just that you were like mm -hmm. going to be in. It was like you actually helped identify how the team played. Um, and so then it was like, you know, where do you fit in? With the gals, like where do you fit in? What's yeah. your place? And it was actually freaking ma a maiden, what handmaiden's tale that you and like <laughs> Ash were watching or something like that, and you started naming everyone like Sister Ashlyn, yes. Sister Abigail, <laughs> yes. and all the banter. And that's when I was like, Oh, Abby Date, she's Sister Jill, I, Sister Jill, Sister Jill. <laughs> Jill was probably like, What are you doing? Like I'm calling HR now. But yeah, she was like, Oh my gosh. But I know. So my first camp, you guys, I was rooting with Ashlyn and I was literally like so scared first off it's my first camp second off I'm rooming with Ashlyn I'm like oh my gosh what am I gonna talk about like I need to fill this like voided <laughs> silence like in my room like oh my gosh but she just took me under her wing and yeah. thank god you know she was like really good friends with you guys and really good friends with Pino and like I just am so lucky I yeah. feel like I just slid right in there and I was just in with the gal. Yeah, I really gals. felt like you did fit in seamlessly. It is a tough transition. Like when you first come into the US Women's Dash team, it's just an environment like yeah. none other. It's like socially and soccer wise, you're just yeah. like scared. <laughs> you're just like, I'm scared. Yeah. And you don't really know like what to do, right? Yeah. Like there's just like kind of a set of rules that like if you've been in there, it's like easy to yes. like do. But yes. like if it's your first time experience it, you're like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing. No. No, you're a deer in headlights everywhere. It yeah. could be a social experiment. It's like it really you yeah. get to your the <laughs> place it? that you want to be most in life that yeah. you've worked for, and then they just like drop you in and let everybody like look at you, yeah. and you just like have to like navigate yeah, like yeah. trying to make friends that you want to be your lifelong Liter friends because you want to be on yeah. national team. You for know the show like Naked and Afraid? Like that <laughs> literally was me. I was like, I am so not naked, but I'm afraid. You know what I mean? And like even going to meals, I was like. Who is going to be at breakfast yeah. at this time? Who am I going to sit with? Totally. A, like, and what do you think helped you? Do you think it was like once you started to get in a flow with football, yeah. then you started to like find your way off the field or the opposite? No. I Well, I think maybe a little bit of both. But like I feel like once I kind of earned a little bit of respect through my play on the field and like kind of showed yeah. hopefully people that I can, you know, keep up and like I belong here and I'm good enough, like then I felt like, you know, things kind of started to flow like socially off the field. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, obviously you make connections on the field, but like off the field too, to, to, you know, like we spend 24 seven yeah. with each other for however many days out of the year. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I just am so thankful for like the time, uh, that we had at, at camps. And I just was telling this story off the, uh, off, off the camera, but I love, 
when Pressy opens up her little sparkling water before the game, and I'm like, okay, this is like, this is this go girl time. Means business. Yeah, like this is go I time. I just crack a little sparkling water right in the locker room. Like, yeah, I mean, that's... I'm like, she's in her flow state, literally doing her yoga and sipping her sparkling. I'm like, she's she's locked in. Yeah, that took me a while to get to the place where I could really be myself, but mm. that's what gets me ready for a game. I love it. Yeah. But like, so and then that's, yeah, that's the other thing is just like, I know that about Pressy yeah. is like, don't F with her during her <laughs> pre-game flow state. Yeah. The world now knows that. I've been, I've been claiming a lot about my pre and post to know about yeah. it. And you love talking about <laughs> Literally. it. Literally. Oh, should I mention the sparkling? I forgot. Yeah. Oh, I just um, love that. I'd love to go into kind of like your before the national team and kind of like your early. So... You, your first professional environment was Western New York Flash, which yeah. then became North Carolina Courage. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. And so, so your coach, you had, you said you had Aaron Lyons, and then you pretty much had Paul Riley for the duration of that yeah. experience. Like six or seven years. And during your time, like we, we read it, you were so successful both individually and as a team in North Carolina. Um, obviously, you know, everybody kind of knows what has transpired with the abuse in the league, particularly with Paul Riley. Um, how did you balance this understanding of, you know, when all the allegations come out with a coach that obviously had helped you a lot from an individual basis? Like that's when you then got your first call up on the Nash team. And also, like, how did you balance being so successful and then in such a toxic environment. Like you guys can both attest to it, but like when you're in a situation and you're like kind of getting like a little gaslighted and you're not mm. really realizing like the, the like what's happening. Yeah. I feel like it's it's hard to notice, you know, like the bad behavior and like what's happening. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because you're just like getting gaslighted and you're like, I don't, this is, this is the normal for me. Mm. So this is exactly my experience at Chicago. Obviously different experiences, but we were both, both you and I, I think share a commonality of like having a lot of success under a coach that was abusive. Yeah. Um, and in Chicago, I, I had definitely had my most like prolific scoring best years of club. Um, I was also there the longest amount of time and um, it was an abusive and toxic environment the entire time. And I didn't even know it actually. Yeah. Tobin yanked me out of that environment essentially. She was like, enough's enough. This is going over the line. You can't stay. And I had this whole like complex of like, I can't leave the girls. I can't leave the yeah. girls. I tried to fix everything from the inside. I thought I was like, the one who could stand up, I was like trying to make it better. And Tobin was like, you are not well, you need to leave. Yeah. And that like exactly what you said, like I was in it and I was like, but I'm scoring all these goals yeah. and I'm here and I'm helping all the girls. Like I'm their voice, like I'm their protector. And it was like, I couldn't even see until I was out of that environment. Mm, totally. How bad it was. Totally. And I feel like success, like personal yeah. and team success kind of like hides yeah. you know, the, the, the bad behavior and the, you know, toxicity of, of all that's going on. And yes. And when we're kind of living on a knife's edge, in yeah. my opinion. So it's like, it's all tied to this idea that the national team has kind of a monopoly on the dream because of the financial yep. structure. Yeah. So it's like, for me, 
scoring goals in club meant I get to go into camp, which yeah. means I actually have a job that I can support myself with. Yeah. And if whatever happens, if Rory were to do something or change, or if I wasn't able to be successful, I no longer have a job that sustains my lifestyle, right? Totally. So we're like living in this world where like anything that goes awry, it feels like it's gonna take our whole dream away. Yeah. And like what happened with me was that I asked for a trade. Rory then traded me in my sleep to a team he knew I wasn't gonna go to. I flew to Houston where I was traded, was told by the I girls that coach is also not creating a healthy environment. Yeah. Didn't show up. And then I didn't get called into camp for the first time in three years. Yeah. And it's like you say, why is like no one standing up? Well, that's why, because like that's my livelihood. Yeah. Yeah. And it was all like, like we live in this level of intensity that when crazy things are happening, sometimes we can't even feel it because yeah. like we're used to crazy. No. Yeah. No, I know. I, I just, I too was like walking on a tightrope being like, I cannot fall off of this and I can't, I need to, you know, do the right things and perform how, you know, he wants me to and play how he wants me to because I'm getting called into the national team. Mm -hmm. It's our livelihood. Financially, we are making a good living being mm -hmm. on the national team, being successful. Um, you know, yeah, it was hard. And, yeah. you know, I just am thankful again that I was able to experience and go through this with some of my teammates yeah. and like close friends because I feel like without them, like, I, I don't know, I probably like wouldn't have been okay or like, I don't know what would have happened, but I just like look back at that time and I'm just thankful. And um, it's just crazy to me too. And it it kind of feels like hard because sometimes, you know, I've had success under, you know, a coach that yeah. like has just been so abusive and has done so many horrible things that it's hard not to look back and be like, shoot, it is just like feels a little like grimy to me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and I It's like a guilt. It's a total guilt. And, you know, I'm obviously it doesn't, you know, take away from these the success I had or like our, our team had, but it does like feel a little like heavy to me when I think about like those times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um just wishing it could have been for like just a better human. Yeah. yeah. And I think that like one positive is the financial disparity that we're talking about is um progressing where yeah. people are making more money in the league and i like will say it a hundred times on the show because it's so important like financial liberation of women is the social liberation of women because when we have access to resources and money like we can protect ourselves mm -hmm. and so the fact that there is more money going into club salaries is extremely important yes. um and also we have some great clubs like emerging yeah. with, you know, great female leadership, um, different missions and a higher expectation. I think we both play yes. for them in LA and San Diego. What's it like, you know, playing at your club? How is that environment? Um, and like, do you think that we're making the, the steps that so sometimes from the outside world, it feels like we are? Is that like the truth that you're living? Yeah, I, I'm so thankful that I'm in San Diego, um, you know, like yourself, I was like the first player signed for the San Diego yeah. Wave and it like was such an honor. And I feel like between LA and San Diego, those two NWSL teams are like really raising the standard mm -hmm. of of the NWSL and of like women's sports in general. Like I feel like, you know, 
everything that they're providing for us on and off the field is just like when I think about my rookie year at yeah. Western New York, it's just night and day. Like yeah. you can't even compare I love the that, two. Yeah. And so I feel like they're just really raising the ceiling and setting the bar as to like what, you know, women in this league deserve yeah. and need. And I think that that, you know, it's like you, all the other teams, like they need to catch up now or yeah. like, yeah. you know, push past beyond this, like, standard that we've set now, LA and San Diego. So I just like couldn't be, you know, more fortunate or lucky to be in a market that actually cares about us first as humans. Mm -hmm. And if we're okay and, you know, mental health, if we're okay physically, um, top, uh, top of the, you know, top notch and just like, just making sure that like we are getting the best. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm just really thankful for being in at San Diego and just for everything that they've done to kind of raise the bar um, in this league. I just feel like I like when I got into the league, I was like, oh, like, OK, today the showers work. And, <laughs> oh my you gosh, know, like yes. I we weren't getting breakfast or lunch. I was like, no. oh, like I'm really hungry. Yeah. <laughs> like, like at least <laughs> we have some, yeah, some at least rations. we have some like energy drinks or like yeah. a Gatorade before the practice, yeah. you know, but like I. Now we get like breakfast and lunch, and it's just and it's like a, the little things that I'm like, wow, thank God. Totally. Like, I can have some coffee <laughs> and breakfast before thank I go. Thank you out so and, much. Yeah. 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 So it's just crazy, and I'm like, it, it, I'm so happy, and it's just like, you know, rookies coming in and like seeing that this is the standard as opposed to like when we entered the league, and yeah. it's like, well, I'm going to go home dirty and grimy, and I better get in the shower when I get home because our yep. showers don't work. And yep. You know, we I share a locker room with, or I share a locker with, you know, my teammate because yeah. we're rookies. So yeah. it's just like, just little even things like that that you don't really realize. And I'm still to this day, like, so grateful when, like, we get our meals and just, like, little things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we- which is, like, sad, but, like, true. No, I know. And that's, like, the, the idea of, like, being grateful, right? And where we need to, like, you know, stop. Being, being grateful, grateful no, but being also grateful being and continue to right. push. Being grateful and that's so evolved. Yeah. And, and because Kristen. honestly, you think of Abby's rookie season, yeah. and then you say your season like last season when you showed up in San Diego, that was somebody's rookie season. That yeah. they exactly. got to show up in yeah. that environment. So that's, that's progress. Yeah. And then think, you know, hopefully in seven years, they're talking about how that was horrible. And yeah. we're talking about how it's yeah. fabulous. And there's the seven years of progress to show. That to me is our generation fighting yeah. for 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 yes. progress. Yeah. I can't really put my finger on like what I think it is, but I feel like maybe like it's like a culture shift. Mm-hmm. Um and I feel like you kind of touched base on it in the beginning of like kind of these big personalities on and off the field. I feel like you two were them and and some of us that like aren't there, I feel like maybe just like culturally and driving the standard and the mentality, I feel like when you have such a big shift of of the group, I think you know that's sometimes hard. But you know, I don't, I I don't know what it is, and I can't really put my finger on it. But what I'm like curious, what you guys think? Like, yeah, you... it's like speculative. So the way <laughs> I think of um, the prize pool is like the amount of money that each individual player on this U.S. Women's National Team will make 
isn't really affected by their results because statistically the prize money is whatever, a third of the men's. And so winning is like such an insignificant amount compared to like the whole that they're gonna get paid. Yeah. But for us and every single past US Women's National Team, the money that we would win by winning a World Cup was like five Mm -hmm. X the what we were gonna earn that any other year. So actually, the cycle our pay our like salaries were also on cycles. Yeah, yeah. It was like, <laughs> we really only made money on those like yeah. World Cup winning yeah. years, yeah. right? And but so, it was like so performance based. It's like it was we completely performance. We had to yeah. win. Yeah, and like it was, like, it was yeah. a little bit of like a craze, right? Like you're kind of like, I have to win because this is like how we sustain our yeah. life and like how we like get to the next it level. It was like as the like Hunger humans. Games kind of. <laughs> like I literally was like, we need win to or die. win. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I, I think my overall sentiment is the same as yours. Like, I don't know. How would I feel if I walked into the World Cup earning the same whether or not I've won? I don't know. Yeah. Mm. What I do know is that, um, and this is my, and this is not a fact, this is like my heart, I, and I've said this before on this show, that like I think the fact that we were playing for the sake of like women's progress and equality was a great motivator. And I think that without that extra reason to come together and to be united off the field and to fight on the field knowing that each action we took on the field was inspiring something beyond sport, I think that is why we won, right? I, yes. I I completely agree. I feel like specifically in 2019, I yeah, I just felt like this bond, this special like the strongest most special bond yeah. um between like the 23 players of the World Cup and I just felt like every time we stepped out on the field, we were like this team is really good, but like we are going to win no matter what. Yeah. Like whoever we're playing Think about our run. Think mm. about the teams we've played. Mm -hmm. We played Spain in the round of 16. Like, come on. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, like, we dug in and just put in a shift yep. in one. And, like, I feel like our bond and playing for something that was way bigger than us um, and something that will last, mm -hmm. like, forever mm -hmm. is just, like, crazy. And it's yeah. just something that, like, I'm so proud of. I know you guys are so proud so of. Proud. And, like... I just think that's so cool. It's so cool. And, like, I am proud of it. Like, when I see these players, like, you know, getting paid and all this stuff, like, like I'm so fucking proud yeah, of that, yeah. you know? That's so cool. And I, I am – I know I feel like when the older people are like, oh, well, the younger generation, you know, like, I'm not <laughs> – Tobin in 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> well, the younger generation. But, like, I love the younger generation. Like, I want them to get paid. I want them to be flashy. I want them to be so freaking good. I want more world championships. Like, I want that. Like, I I think some people are like, oh, like, they can't be successful off the field and on the field at the same time. And I think that's completely sexist. And I think we're more doing that to each other. Like, we're creating this, like, idea and this rhetoric that they shouldn't be, like, these super crazy like they are the elite of the elite athletes doing the elite of the elite thing they should be yeah. praised they should be like up on their pedestal pedestal they should be getting paid and like i want more of that i also want to win a world cup yeah you know and like i don't think those two things don't coexist no. and i think anytime that we try to say that women can't be paid celebrities <laughs> and everything and win a world cup like I will never join that camp no. because I am for progress both on and off the field and I'm for women f 
getting paid because they're awesome. All yeah. right, enough f bombs. Beep, 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 beep. Your nephews want to watch the show. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Literally, your nephews aren't allowed I'm to watch sorry this because my sister. <laughs> okay, now we are going to take a break and recover a bit, and there's no better way to do it than with our friends at Ufos. And we're going to take some of our community questions. I'll go first. Oh, I I get so nervous. Okay. Really? Yeah. Because you're afraid of what the community asks The community, you. I mean, they've actually been, like, throwing me some softballs, so let's see. I don't think this one's a softball. Meg from Maine <laughs> asks, what makes you agree to a paid partnership advertisement deal as athletes? When do you say no? I just, like, I had, like, such a philosophical, like, I'm just for some of the reasons why like I'm also now doing this show is like because I even the things that we were like asked to do and being paid for like they they just didn't feel like me and maybe there's just like a piece of me that's like you know people always say like you know, you get your photograph taken it takes a piece of your soul I felt like totally. that with like deals you know like I don't want to do things that don't feel authentic to me in every form of life and that's actually a really challenging one because there's money involved and I think Whenever there's money involved, you tend to lose your way a little bit. And I think knowing that, you know, I, I think it's how I kind of grew up, knowing that I didn't want to be like that, and I knew it was a strong temptation, and I didn't want to lose myself to certain things like that. I love that, and I think that's very true. Um, you don't like it. You know, like true. neither of us really liked, like, commercials, filming, taping, which is why it's so fun that we get to run a show, right? Yeah. And get to not have to force our narrative through somebody else. But there's certain brand partners where they have value alignment. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Ufos is one of those. Mm -hmm. The sponsors of this show, we intentionally sought those partnerships out because yep. there's value values aligned brands. I think that's really important. Okay, well, since that was hard, I hope this is easier. <laughs> um, Sarah from Kalamazoo asks- Kalamazoo? You've stayed out of the media spotlight for much of your career. How does it feel to be in front of the camera in this new way? I think it doesn't necessarily feel like a spotlight when we're doing the show. It just feels like we're like living our lives, talking about the things we're already talking about. I think that's great. Um, the only thing that's tough is that we have to watch. <laughs> we have to watch back the episode and yeah. give our notes, and then we have to like be promoting it and I'm on social media a lot more and I think social media can be a very scary place um, and it, you kind of start going down a rabbit hole. So that's been a little stressful and so to combat that I've started The Artist's Way um, and I start every day with my morning pages so that when I then have to be on Twitter and Instagram and all of these other platforms, at least it's not TikTok yet, um, I have like a little bit of a sense of grounding and a sense of like this is work and it's not my whole life. I love that. Very Chris impressed of you. Ilsa asks, what's your favorite TV show? Ooh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I, we should have answered Full for you again. <laughs> I have never experienced a show like that that brought me so much joy, so much laughter, and just full circle, like most TV series, they like die at the end, right? It's It's the first one that I felt like started amazing and finished amazing. I named um, my most recent surfboard um, Susie, after Su Susie Meyerson, of course. Um, but I am, I love The Marvelous. You were so sad when that show ended. I was sad, but wasn't it like tears of joy? Like, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. Oh, I'm so glad I got to share that. Yeah, me too. 
thank you all for submitting your questions. We're getting so many amazing questions from our Reink members. Um, join membership so you can submit your question. If your question gets on the show, we're going to send you a pair of UFOs. And if you get a pair of UFOs, please send us a video because we love to see your love at first UFOs moment. So we watched a really um, dramatic game last night. I think you yes. watched it this morning because you're a professional and you took care of yourself and you got yes. sleep because you have to train and I'm all for that. Um, look, the U.S. women's national team isn't performing, but they're in the round of 16. Yes. They're going to play Sweden. Um, we've spent a lot of time like talking about like the game, what happened and stuff. Let's look forward with Abby D. So we have Sweden coming up. This. Yeah, what it is it's not a World Cup or an Olympics without playing Sweden. Sure <laughs> isn't. I said, well, it's definitely World Cup. Yeah. Here's Sweden again. Yeah. Um like we played them in 2019 in, in our group stage. Yeah. So um and then we like almost played them again too. Yeah, we did in the finals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh and they look really good mm -hmm. right now. I mean, just machines on corner kicks. Mm -hmm. Like, just total ball gobblers <laughs> into the net. Just insane. But I think... I love that ball, <laughs> ball, ball gobblers. gobblers. Coined it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But, I mean, I think that there's a strong side. But I feel like, you know, a positive for the U.S. is just, like, and you guys know this, it's just, like, survive in advance. It's, mm -hmm. like, no one is going to say... Oh my gosh, the US won the World Cup, but they got second in the group and <laughs> yeah. played Sweden, you know? Yeah. It's Nobody just says that like, about Argentina men's losing their first game to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, yeah, yeah, right? No. And that's like. Oh my God, so, I forgot about that. Exactly. Yeah. Case in point. Case in but point. you know that the coach now is the French head coach. Herve, yeah. Yes, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyways, I just think it's like survive in advance and like. I love that. They got the job done and like it's fine. It, yeah. Any, like, Saturday is like all that matters. Yep. And um, you know, it's gonna be a really exciting game. I think, you know, the teams match up really well. I think Sweden looks really good and they're super dangerous on set pieces. And you guys know how much we train set pieces, especially in 2019. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, even for the Olympics too. And so I think that that's gonna be just really important, obviously, is to to hone in on the set pieces and just be ready for, you know the next game, which is all that matters. Well, one of the things that, you know, kind of went wrong in this group is that players didn't get to rest. And actually, yeah. when we were reading your bio, in 2019, you didn't get to rest. You played every single game from Sis the start. Sis was out there. Sis was out there, yeah, she was uh -oh. doing her thing. Yeah, there. so I guess that means maybe you don't need a break. Well, <laughs> she plays a position that that's standard. Yes. Um, I know. I I. I think I was the only field player to play every minute of the World Cup, which... Every minute? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. Which was so cool. It's I'm incredible. I'm, like, so grateful for. Yeah. But... But talk to about what that felt like, like, physically. Yeah. Yeah. I just... I feel like in the best way... Well, like, I just felt great physically. Like, I feel like I was, like, 26. Mm hmm I, like... My bones were still forming. I had, like, cartilage. You know what I mean? Like, I was, like, I didn't have knee joint. Like, I was, like, good. Yeah. Like, I was fine. And I I felt, you know, fit and ready to play. And I feel like, um, you know, it was, it was nice 
having to just like bus around France and not travel and get on planes <laughs> yeah, and do yeah. all that. So I feel like our schedules like was great during the World Cup. Um, and I think, you know, the the team and the staff like gave us, you know, anything we could ever want, yeah. um, recovery, food wise, like to just be ready to play. So, yeah. um, you know, and I feel like we all were like very, very fit. So, um, yeah, I mean, I felt good and it's just like, again, I just feel like grateful and like so honored to have been able to play such, uh, you know, crucial, uh, massive role, massive role. Yeah. Um, for the team. So, and it worked out, but yeah, I, Thinking about that now makes me exhausted. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Well, I we're going to need quite a few players to be able to put in such yeah. a shift this this tournament, yeah. it seems. Well, this has been fantastic. Yeah. And thank you. Good? Just like the good old days. Just like it's, hanging out, having a coffee yeah. in camp. Yeah, coffee in camp. Sisters. That's <laughs> the sisters. Sister Abigail. Um, thanks, Abby. We are um, so excited to see you back on the field and hopefully back with the red, white, and blue sooner rather than later so we can see you b b boot it to the forward. <laughs> <laughs> boom. I think Sister P like started that. Oh, she yeah. She was like b b booming up to me. I was like, say <laughs> she less. She started, everyone was saying it. Like, um, say yeah. less. Yeah. What's up, everyone? Today, we have Andrea Brimmer, CMO of Ally, who is doing amazing things in women's sports. Thank you so much for being with yeah, us. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Not so long ago, <laughs> you received a phone call. We wanted to start with this big thing, the World Cup going on, um, and have a World Cup show. And we knew we needed partners to do it. For all of you that that follow uh, women's soccer um, and a lot of sports in, in the U.S., Ally is at the forefront of doing some really special things. Talk me through what your guys' game plans are, what you've already done, um, and what you want to continue to yeah, do. Yeah, well, thank you for that. No, it was it was funny. You know, we for the for the 50th anniversary of Title IX, we wanted to do something, and I kind of said to the team, I don't want to just do some ad that isn't going to mean anything, right? Or um, just be marketing puffery. Let's do something real. And we came up really fast. It was like a Thursday. We came up with this idea of what if we pledged uh, to spend equally between men's and women's sports. Wow, what a concept, right? Right? Like we called it a 50-50 pledge. And to be yeah. honest with you, Tobin, I just being introspective, I had never really looked at the split between what we are spending in men's sports versus women's sports. Yeah. And so we just did some quick back of the napkin math and realized that 90% of our sports investment was going to men's sports and 10% was going to women's sports. And in a year's time since we made that pledge, by the time we get to the end of this year, our split will be 60-40, 60% men, 40% women, so 300% improvement wow. in one year. Um, I think, as you know, we had a pretty sizable hand in helping get the championship NWSL game moved yep. to prime time. Yep, that was huge. Which is crazy, first time yeah. ever in yeah. prime time. And just for, for our viewers, the championship game of the NWSL <laughs> was not going to be on prime time. Right. Literally, because of this woman, <laughs> it got moved. To primetime, so so thank you, Andrea, for that. But that's Absolutely. just that's that's crazy. It is crazy, and it you just kind of like scratch your head and say, how in the year twenty twenty two, which is the year that we got it moved, yeah. has a championship game in when any women's sport never been played in primetime? It makes zero sense. Yeah. 
And then we put together a really sizable deal uh, with ESPN, multi-million dollar deal with ESPN, where over 90% of the investment went into women's sports. Mm -hmm. And then really all the things that we're doing with platforms like yourself, you guys come from it from such a enthusiastic and authentic place. And it's real conversation. And it's the stories that people, especially women's sports fans, are starved to hear and have never been able to hear. And even for me, like I've played soccer my whole life. I played in college. I'm a huge fan. Those are the bits that you want to hear because they're so different and they give you such an amazing glimpse into what a beautiful game that we play in love. Why is investing in women's sports good for business? That notion of women's sports being a charity or brands thinking about allocation of funding to women's sports in their community fund as opposed to in their main media fund, yeah. like it pisses me off really bad. Is that really, really what, how it is? Yeah, and, and honestly, what's frustrating is that the way that media has typically been sold is that you have to buy an allocation, a certain allocation of men's sports media in order to unlock what they call value-added women's media. So oftentimes, the women's media gets thrown in for free after you hit a threshold of investment in men's media. And so that's exceptionally insulting and yeah. frustrating. And, and so for us, um, since we've made this 50-50 pledge and really kind of gone all in on, on women's sports, I will tell you the business results have been there in spades. We are at our highest level of awareness in our company history. We're at the highest level of positive sentiment for our company, um, over 95% positive sentiment, which is three times more than what the financial services category in general has. 70% of everybody that's coming to our storefront now is, is a woman. So you're starting to see that. Um, and so all of our KPIs, you know, everything that we measure on as marketers or are measured against are at their highest levels ever. And I just think there's so much evergreen space in women's sports. If you just think about it from that perspective, the landscape is still not overcrowded. And so you can really punch above your weight. Yeah. You can do so many things that create so much momentum and inertia for your brand that I can't, I can't fathom a better business opportunity. And, you know, I'll tell you, two earnings calls ago, my, our CEO, my boss, Jeff Brown, who's been a massive supporter of this, mm -hmm. started the earnings call with analysts and investors saying how proud he was of the investment that we're making in women's sports and um, gave the team credit for seeing around corners and embracing that. And I didn't know he was going to do that. That's pretty, that's pretty special. Where the focus has to be is that brands need to come together and really solve the issues around media equity. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest issue right now facing women's sports because that's the only way that vicious cycle that I talked about is, is really going to break. And you know this as an athlete. Female athletes have had to be really scrappy. Yeah. They've had to have their side hustles. They've had to figure out how to create their own social currency. Mm -hmm. And when you look at top performing athletes in social media, um, disproportionately female athletes are among the top because you guys have figured out how to create that 
that social currency for yourself. But there's only so much that can really be done without the right kind of coverage, without the right kind of broadcast contracts, without the big numbers that you're seeing the male leagues getting um, happening on the female side. And so that's a big focus that I think brands are going to have to force. Totally. I think we're passionate about building spaces, building structures that look and feel more like us. Um, I always reference this idea of um, sports living in this like one house right now and women's sports gets this add on or this back room <laughs> and they like, it's, the garage. Yeah, the, the garage <laughs> even better. And it, it, it's it's awkward there, right? You say that we're kind of raked in or we're that add-on, mm -hmm. but we're not being thought for. We're not being built for. Right. And now is the time to build new structures that look and feel like us and be so supported by brands that look and feel like us and believe in us and not just see us as an add-on or addition, but really want to build for us. That's, that's the next step in this. Absolutely. You know, a lot of what we also talk about is having – women in positions where they're in a position of power, they're sitting at the table and able to make these decisions at the brand side, yeah. at the league side, at the network side, so that they can force this change as well. And I think that's a big part of it. You know, one of the stats that was um, so compelling for us when we thought about the business opportunity be behind the 50-50 pledge was this idea that 94% um, of women in the Fortune 500 that are in a C-suite position, played sports at one point in their life, and 54% played at the collegiate level. Wow. And so you think about sports being a pipeline of creating um, the next generation of American business leaders. Yeah. And if that's not a compelling enough stat for brands to get behind women's sports, because yeah. as you know, what, you do, what you've done is rare air. Very few athletes go on coming through college to play at the level that you've played at. And so where do you go from there? You go to business, you you do other things in life, and sports are a platform for that. It's just another reason why investing in women's sports is so critically important. One frustration that I have as a fan and even as a player is when people ask me, like, oh, how can I watch you? They're even for me doing that thing, um, it's a hard answer, right? Yeah. And and even when I'm trying to find myself or find my teammates playing, especially with the NWSL, it's hard to find. Mm -hmm. So you're you're giving an investment to to a property to to put women's sports out there. Do you still feel like there's a barrier that you are facing, even within that investment, that the structures still aren't there to give that accessibility to the fans? Yeah, I do think that the promotional elements need to be more significant. Um, you know, you see the promotion that's around, um, let's just say, an NBA finals. Yeah. It's everywhere, it's everywhere, right? Yeah, whether I want care about it or not, I know it's happening. Exactly. I mean, they blanket, whether it's in your social media feed, whether it's earned media, whether it's promotional moments within their networks and platforms. That's what still needs to happen. So, yeah, I think that's a massive issue still. I think the promotional investment from the legacy media platforms needs to be there. Where I place a lot of the blame is on brands not mm. making the investment mm. because the legacy media platforms and the emerging platforms, as you know, yep. trying to run a business, yep. you can't exist without that yep. investment. Yeah, And so I think it's a great point until the brands come to the table. And that was really what our 50, 50 pledge was about. Mm -hmm. And I'm still kind of like, 
where's everyone else? Yeah. <laughs> Come yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you. and like you said, the brands play a major role in that because they're going to follow where the money is and where the money's going. Exactly. So until there's a significant change in the investment in women's sports coming from the brands, um, that won't change. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been in the marketing world for 30 years, which yeah. I know is shocking because I look so young. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I have never been associated with something that has been so impactful mm-hmm. as this 50-50 pledge and what's happening with women's sports. I'm not just personally and the love that I have for it, but on behalf of igniting our business. Yeah. And I I really believe it was a seminal moment for our company and our brand when we made this promise. Yeah. And the results have followed. And um, leaning into it now and capitalizing on as much of the momentum as possible is really the focus for us as we go forward. Like we're just getting started. As you all know by now on The Recap Show, we love to finish these episodes by looking ahead to a particular matchup. And the one that I'm most excited about is one of the early round of 16 matchups between Japan and Norway. Really, this is a tale of two teams in the group stage. Japan has seemingly done nothing wrong. They've scored goals, they haven't conceded, they've had incredible performances. Norway seemingly had had done everything wrong, um, made it out of the group, um, but a lot of off-field drama, on-field bad performances. That's why I think you have to be careful in a game like this. I think if Japan goes in and they continue to execute at the level that they've been going through, great. But if we get to see a Norway team that I think we're capable of seeing based on the talent that they have, I think this could be an interesting game. If I was to predict this match, I would say Japan wins 2-0. And we'll see if I'm right on the next episode. The Recap Show is a re-ink original series produced in partnership with HeadGum Studios. The show is executive produced by Tobin Heath, Kristen Press, Shane Romani, and Jamie Friedman. For HeadGum Studios, the recap show is brought to life by supervising producer Katie Moose, showrunner Billy Scafuri, creative producer Tara Aquino, associate producer Ali Khan, director of photography Nate Cornett, video engineer and editor Rochelle Chen, Production sound mixer, Destiny Ferrant. Production designer, motion graphics, Eddie Ramos. Production designer, Elaine Carey. Production assistants, Lauren Strummel, Olivia Reiner, and Jasmine Wasserman. Hair, Ramon Garcia, and John Jamar IV. Stylist, Sarah Borgesi. Makeup, Stephen Molesky. The first season of The Recap Show wouldn't be possible without the support of our incredible sponsors, including UFOS, Ally, UKG, and Tequila Comos. Thank you. Re-Inc. was founded in 2019 by USWNT champions Kristen Press, Tobin Heath, Megan Klingenberg, and Megan Rapino, with the mission to make the world a more inclusive and equitable place for all. A brand that lives at the intersection of sports, progress, and equity. We offer eco-conscious, gender-free fashion, creative goods, a membership that invites anyone to join in the pursuit of boldly reimagining our world. And with the creation of The Recap Show, we are launching a new content division to change the way women are seen and experienced in sports. Thank you for tuning in.